It's great to have you here this morning. Before we jump into the message, I'll have you take a look up at the screen and you can see a few pictures from our trip uh, from Zambia. The mission trip has returned and um, I just want to thank you for your prayers. You're going to be hearing from them when the week's coming, whether through our podcast and service or, or some other ways, but, but they are back. They are safe. And uh, thank you so much for your prayers as you joined in with the ministry that they were doing there in uh, Children's Nest in Zambia um, through your prayers. And uh, I'll tell you, the, the children there uh, send greetings back this way. Uh, they're thankful for their Crosswinds family. Uh, we've been a part of what's been happening over there for several years now. And so thank you so much for the prayers for the team. Uh, I know they appreciate it. And the work that was done there was definitely um, something that honored the Lord and a result of uh, prayers and uh, the obedience of those who went. And so thank you so much. Uh, if you were here last week, you know why I'm sitting in a chair. I uh, twisted my ankle and it, it's interesting. Uh, Elijah um, sent me a text yesterday and said, do you need a table and chair? I said, yeah, I'm going to do it one more week just to give us some time to rest. And when my wife found out, she said, you can stand. And uh, But I'd already told him for the ch- table. And so I, I sort of felt like I don't know what to do, but I'm sitting. And so that, that's, that's, where, that's, that's, that's where I'm at. Um, it's hard for me to believe this is the last of our summer series messages. We've been looking at the book of Psalms, calling the series Christ in the Psalms, and we've been looking at the eight categories, if you will, of Psalms that biblical scholars sort of divide the book up into and basically using it as a springboard to just sort of dig into eight of the Psalms. And this morning, this last category is a song of ascent. And the songs of ascent are sort of a subset of songs. They were songs that were sung as the people of Israel would go to Jerusalem for the different festivals. And we know through the Old Testament that God had commanded that during certain festivals that the people were to come to Israel to worship together. And so as they were traveling, picture with me, um, these big groups of pilgrims on the way to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs. And, and if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know Jerusalem is actually sitting on a, on a hill. In fact, there's several hills there. And so you actually, no matter how you're coming into the old city, not the new city, which is quite bigger, but the old city, you, you actually do ascend. And, and so they would be singing this, these from wherever they came and people would uh, sort of come in with the group and, and sing these songs. And so part of it, I think, was to get the travelers' hearts ready for worship. And we all know what it's like. Song does, songs sort of do, music does make sort of trips go faster. So I don't know if that was part of it either. But they would sing these songs as they came into Jerusalem for these festivals. There's 15 songs of ascent from Psalm 120 to 134. And we're going to look at Psalm 121 this morning. Psalm 121 is a very short psalm. So I'm going to read it for us. If you look up on the screen, this, this is Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved and he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. A short yet yet powerful psalm. And, and it really deals with this idea of help. And that's something for us, I think, as Americans, that, that sometimes it's hard for us to do is ask for help. In fact, many of us grew up knowing this, this phrase, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. Well, I have a couple of questions. Where are they going? I wonder that. And what do the fragile do? Where do they go? 
And, and here's the reality, the tough aren't always able to be tough. And, and so the psalm sort of answers those questions, the, the, the question of where do we go when the storms of life hit us? We all know what it's like. We all know what it's like to, to arrive at the end of the day, to, to turn the lights out and lay our head on the pillow. And, and there we are in the quiet moments, maybe feeling alone. Maybe we are humanly alone. But the fact is this, we should know that God is there in the quiet. That's what the psalmist wants us to understand. God is there in the quiet. We're never truly alone. In fact, the psalmist writes, look at the first two verses, verse one and two again. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth, heavens and earth. And then the psalm sort of breaks down things. The ground may quake, but he, but he writes, he will not let your feet be moved. The elements may threaten us, but we read, the sun shall not strike us by day, nor the moon by night. Evil stalks us, right? But the Lord will keep us from evil. Death stands at the door, yet the Lord keeps our lives. And so before we even jump into the psalm, what is the, what is the overall thought? You know, what was going through the psalmist's minds? What does he want us to bring into the psalm as we're reading? And I think it's an understanding that freedom does not come by denying the ultimate threats we face, but through knowing the God who conquers all things. Let me say it again, that, that freedom does not come by denying the ultimate threats we face, but through knowing the God who has conquered all things. There's a lot of teaching on whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, and I'm guessing all of us are familiar with the idea of, of whether the glass is half full or half empty. And I'm, I, I think I'm a pretty positive person. I think most of the people around me would say I'm somewhat of an optimist, um, but yet I have a touch of realness, realist in me too. And so whenever I hear that whole, is, you know, are you a half glass filled or a half glass empty person? I go, just, just be quiet and drink it. You know, I mean, you know, just, just, just be quiet and drink the thing. I mean, what's going on here? Why do I share? Because I, I think sometimes in our culture, we can fall into the trap of believing that being an optimist or positive uh, thinker means that we don't act like there's struggle. We don't admit that there's difficulties. As if, it, if we don't, then they'll sort of go away. Or we fall into this misunderstanding that if you just had enough faith, things wouldn't be difficult. And the psalmist is certainly going to correct our thinking in that. No, no, no. Freedom does not come from denying the ultimate threats we face, the difficulties in life, the trials, the tests, but through knowing the God who's conquered all things. So what is Psalm 121 speaking of? What's well, speaking of the threats of life, nature, evil, death, and the God who's there through it all. Bible scholars recognize Psalm 121 as, as a meditation because it, it really answers up the question from where does our help come from? We don't know who wrote this psalm. We, we, we don't have any idea when they wrote it, but the thought of Psalm 121 does something really interesting. It first answers a question, where does our help come from? And then it goes into what is the character of that help? And so let's look at the psalm a little closer. Again, the first two verses. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? Here's the answer. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Verse one, he asks a question and then answers it. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? I lift my eyes to the hills. And we don't really know if the psalmist had specific hills in mind. We don't know. Is it just purely metaphorical? Or does he want us to think of specific hills? Again, it could be the hills of Jerusalem. It could be where there was a temple of God and where God sort of dwelt in that temple in a special way. 
I think of other mountains or hills in scripture. It could be Sinai, where God gives the Ten Commandments in a very powerful way through Moses to the people. Or one of my favorite thoughts is, is of Mount Carmel, where, where there is Elijah, the one true prophet of God, and he's in this power encounter with the false prophets of Baal and in this whole interaction between him and God shows his power in a very mighty way, his presence in a very mighty way. We're not really sure, but in either case, we're reminded of God's presence and his profound, his profound power. Uh, lifting up our eyes. You know, lifting up our eyes really suggests the transcendence and superiority of God. This is the magnificence of who the Lord is. We live in a culture that teaches the myth that, that ultimately we, we can be self-reliant and self-sufficient. And we wrongly think, you know, I'm the captain of my own fate, the commander of my own destiny. We wrongly tell people you can do whatever you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be. And I do believe this. And I'll say this very clearly. I think we can accomplish more with God than we ever dreamt we could accomplish. But to say to someone, you can do anything you want, it's a difficult thing. Like, I'm not really sure that when God created me, he thought you could be an Olympic gymnast. I'm just not sure. And you say, well, yeah, if you worked really hard, I think I had to work really, really hard. Like, I'm 6'6", 220, okay, 230. Uh, But the reality of it is, you know, I'm just not, look at gymnasts. I'm just sort of not in that mold, right? And you're, oh, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not as self-reliant as we think we are, and, and we're certainly not as self-sufficient as we think we are. And so here's the truth found in Psalm 121. In life, we face situations beyond our resources and understanding, and we need help. We need help from time to time. We need help. There's times where, where, where it's, we're in a situation that's beyond our resources, and, and those resources could be material, they could be mental. It doesn't matter. It could be physical. We need help. And what is help when we really think about it? Well, help is really the admission that I need to ask someone for something beyond myself. In fact, one of the things I like to do is study high achievers. And one of the things that I found, one of the key sort of principles across the board on most of them, almost all of them, is that high achievers sought help from others. Like, it'll amaze me. Uh, someone will say to me, I want to be a doctor. And I go, have you talked to a doctor? You know, just sort of see. You know, what was their path like? Well, I haven't done that. Well, I want to be a teacher. Have you talked to a teacher? You know, I, I, I mean, it seems to me that, 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 that there's so much help around us. Betty in service, Pastor Betty earlier said that this church is over 100 years old. It, it built upon people who, who have sacrificed and been obedient to the Lord. And so we don't stand on ourselves. In fact, I, I heard the, one time that a person who said that if you see a turtle sitting on a, on, a, on a fence post, you know it didn't get there by itself. It needed help. We need help. Verse 2, of course, answers the question, for where does the help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And I love that. He doesn't just say my help came from the Lord. He wants to make sure we understand. He's the one who spoke the world into existence. Our eyes are not merely then being lifted up to the hills, but specifically lifted up to the creator of the hills. The psalmist is calling us to, to look to the God who spoke the world into existence, who, who placed the planets in orbit around the sun, who, who brings order to all of life, and who's made heaven and angels and the world and everything that dwells in it. This is who we lift our eyes up to. So here's the complete truth from Psalm 121. In life, we need help, and ultimately, we're to seek help from the Lord. 
Ultimately, we're to seek help from the Lord. That doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't use people and other things in order to, to accomplish that help in our life. We're going to talk about that in just a, in a moment. But the reality of it is, is that ultimately our help comes from him. And there's no better help than that afforded us from the eternal living God. Amen, church? There's just no better help. And he offers it to us. So the psalmist answers the question, where does our help come from? It comes from our eternal God. And then the rest of the psalm talks about the character of that help. Verses three through eight. Let me read it in its entirety, then we'll, we'll dig a little deeper. He, God will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. The style of the psalm again changes from this personal address. Where will my help come from to, to a reflection on the God who is our help? And he speaks of the character of this help. And he begins by saying, first of all, God is our keeper. Look at verses three and four again. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. What's the psalmist saying? He said, God is our firm foundation for our lives. He's our security. He's the rock of our salvation. When standing on an immovable God, we have a a sturdy footing for life. I often like to remind myself, because I don't know if you've noticed, the world can seem quite chaotic. Ever been there? I, I mean, the world around us can seem quite shaken, can it? And I remind myself that God is not shaken. He's not surprised. He's never surprised. Like, how many of you are surprised? I'm surprised quite often. Like, I'll be honest with you. Like, just when I think I heard the most outrageous thing, I'm surprised. And God's not surprised by any of it. He's unshakable. And so if I place, try to place my salvation, my, 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 uh, my, my stability on the things of this earth, guess what? I'm going to be shaken too. But if I look to Christ and place myself on him as my rock, that I'm as unshakable as the Lord. That's how he helps me. That's how he helps me. We're on solid ground because the Lord keeps, he guards, he protects us. He, he does not sleep. God's always awake. He's always faithful to his promises. I talked about the power encounter on Mount Carmel. One of the things I'd love is when uh, the, the prophets of Baal are crying out to, to, to Baal and, and, and he's not answering because by the way, there is no Baal. It's a, it's a false God. And, and Elijah says to him, he yells out and says, well, maybe your God is asleep. He even goes further. He says, it could be your God's going to the bathroom. Just give him some time and maybe he'll come back. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's so real. It's so taunting. <laughs> and, and, and what is he pointing out? He's saying, look, you're placing your trust in somebody who doesn't even exist. But my God, he doesn't slumber. My God, he's present. My God, he's always at work. There's no help better than that help afforded us by the Lord. And God is always faithful to his promises. Day or night, we can confidently come to the Lord, trusting him to keep us, placing his mantle of protection over us. I mean, think about it. This isn't encouraging. It's just reality, yo. We age, we tire, we, we, we become exhausted and die, right? How many of you are going to leave here and go, woo, that was encouraging. I'm glad I showed up this morning. <laughs> but I say that to compare it against God. God doesn't tire. He doesn't sleep. He's eternal. And, and he knows us. God sees you. He knows you. He's mindful of you. 
He stands before you, and yes, he keeps you. He keeps you. And and so the character of God's help, he keeps us, but even more, he's our shade. Look at verses five and six again. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. To be shaded by God is to be protected from whatever may harm us. And the image here that that the psalmist gives us is God sort of standing between us and the ultraviolet rays of the sun, like he's our shade. And and, and as if, you know, he he wants us to understand, he's not just able to do that during the day. He wants us to know he protects us at night as well. But he's been writing about trials. He's been writing about, about some of the difficulties that he shades us from. And so this doesn't mean that the believer will not face adversity. In fact, we will. The Ecclesiastes writer makes it really clear. He says, you know, sometimes good things seem to happen to bad people, and sometimes bad things seem to happen to good people. Have you ever noticed that? So it's, it's, the Bible never promises that believers won't face adversity. It doesn't mean that we'll always be healthy and wealthy. We need to think of the scriptures in context. In fact, there, there are some who will teach that, and, and, and they're taking scripture out of context. They'll say, listen, if you just have enough faith, you'll never get sick. If you just have faith, you'll never have any difficulty. They'll say, they'll say listen, the problems in your life either come from a lack of faith, right? Or, 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 you've, or you've done something wrong. Now, by the way, sometimes we do bring our own difficulty in our life. Isn't that true? Okay, you're getting quiet. I know you don't do that, but the person next to you does, don't they? Don't they? Sometimes, sometimes we do. I get that. But the scripture never says if you have enough faith, you're not going to get sick. Why doesn't the scripture say that? Because you know what death is? It's your body saying, I'm done. And, and if, if we believe that, then we would still have the saints walking around us. You say, well, Paul was beheaded. Well, beheading is a bad thing. And they would teach, if you have enough faith, bad things don't happen to you. But does Paul not have enough faith? I dare you to say that to him. He's not here, but I dare you to say it anyway. What am I getting at? It's false teaching. And it's led some people to walk away from the faith because they believed it. And then difficulty came and they thought either I can't ever have enough faith or it's a wrong te- it is a wrong teaching. But it's not wrong teaching because they're teaching from here. It's wrong teaching because they're misusing what's here. No, 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 no. Remember, in context, the psalmist has recognized the need for help. He realizes that our ultimate help comes from the Lord. The, the key isn't that we don't go through difficult times. The key is we don't go through difficult times alone. And any of the difficulty we face here is nothing to be compared to the, to the joy we're going to have when we're in Christ in heaven and not experiencing the craziness of this world. That's the promise of Scripture. He, he, the psalmist is familiar with difficulty. He cries to God. Here it is. God does not promise that we'll never have problems. By the way, I wish he did because he's always true to his promises. But he does it. God doesn't promise that we'll never have problems. He does promise to be with us in our problems. And he shares that that nothing can touch us or our souls, which is more important, and separate us from his love. I I love what Paul writes in Romans 8, 37 through 39. If some people say, man, you you spend a lot of time in Romans 8. It's my favorite chapter in all the scriptures. Romans 8, 37 through 39. I love this, these words of Paul. He says, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
He's talking about our soul. And many times we take verses that are meant to be talking about our soul, the healing of our soul, the, the keeping of our soul, the preserving of our soul, and we make it into things that it doesn't talk about. But is that not enough? <laughs> is that not enough for us to say, thank you, Jesus? And all this comes because of everything has to pass before God and he's our protector. Well, what's the character of God's help? He's our keeper. He shades us. Well, he's also our preserver. Look at verses seven and eight. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What does it mean that God preserves us? When we read that God will keep our life, it means he preserves our soul again. He's talking about our soul. He's talking about the essence of who we are. I don't know about you, but uh, maybe you have a great body right now. Not, 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 not get personal. You think about yourself the way you want. I'm looking forward to the new body I get. Do you know that's a promise in scripture? That when I see Christ face to face, I get a new body? And, and you know, the interesting thing is, and some of you may remember, like, like uh, several years ago, I broke my right foot and I was in a cast or a brace for almost a year. And so when I all of a sudden sprained my left foot, so it wasn't the same foot, so I thought that was interesting. You couldn't keep it all on one bad leg, but it was a left foot. My first thought was, I can't do that again, God. Can't do that again. And you know, I, I did two things. I said, God, please have mercy on me, which he has, okay? But the other thing was, oh, I can't wait to get that new body where there's no sprains, no breaks, no belly, I hope. Either that or we'll all have one. <laughs> that would be the awesome moment. I'd be like, see? Now you know what it's like. Get over yourself. But the psalmist says, look, he, he takes care of us. He's constant. His presence is unfailing. He guards us through eternity. Therefore, he keeps us. I love it. He says, our going out and our coming in. Like he knows, he cares about those things. How long will he preserve us? Well, from this time forth and forevermore to eternity. That's our God. He cares. And this is the help we need and the help we get from God. But here's the reality. It's easy to go through life feeling vulnerable, isn't it? We feel vulnerable to financial ruin, to physical illness, to relational rejection, to emotional meltdown, and you can add to the list. I mean, no matter what facade we put on the outside, all of us are vulnerable. We, we sometimes feel weak and, and small and defenseless. But what does it mean to be a part of the people of God? Well, among a hundred things, it means the God who created the universe never ceases to watch over us and actively protect us. To protect you. It, it means he, he never is distracted. He, he never turns away. He who keeps will never slumber. Doesn't mean we won't go through difficulty. It means we won't go through it alone. That he will be our help. He'll give us what we need. But here's the question. How do we really know that? Have you ever asked that question? Like you're going through a difficult time. You have all the Sunday school answers. But you're like, how do I really, really know? Well, the proof is there on a hill called Calvary. It was on that hill that Jesus died. It was on that hill that Jesus became genuinely vulnerable and exposed to, to adverse circumstances, even, even the forces of hell. It was there that he received our judgment, 
the judgment we deserved on the cross. He died a, a criminal's death in our place. He died and was resurrected so we could walk through life with the sure knowledge that we're God's children, but he's always watching over us. How do we know that, that God is present, that he really cares? Because he loved us so much, he didn't just say it, he sent Jesus Christ, his son, to display it. So anytime I start doubting these promises of God, I, I think of, of, of Christ. I look to the hill Calvary. I think of the cross. I think of the empty tomb. I think of the, of the promises that are fulfilled through these redemptive acts of the Lord. And I think, oh yes. Not only did God say it, he proved it. He demonstrated it. What do we learn from this song of ascent? Well, first of all, we learn even entering into it. Freedom doesn't come from denying the ultimate threats we face, but through knowing the God who's conquered all things. Then we have this overarching truth. In life, we will face situations beyond our resources understanding where we need help, but ultimately the Lord is our help. And what type of help does he offer? He's our keeper. He's our foundation. He's our shade. He's our protector. He's our preserver. He maintains our souls. And this is the help we need and the help we get when we enter into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I sit up here, sit up here saying to you, I know this is true. Because from the day I came to Christ, which was many years ago now, <laughs> through the decades of being a believer, of being on mission with Christ, through the times of undergraduate and graduate educational pursuits, for the over 30 years of pastoral ministry and over 30 years of marriage, of parenting and crisis after crisis, stress and loss and grief, I have needed help. I've needed help. And ultimately, my help has been from the Lord, who has preserved my going out and coming in, and will do it until the never-ending future. And that's not just true of me, it's true of you as well. It's true for all of us. So let me wrap, with these, wrap up with these last two thoughts. First of all, God's help. He's here. But oftentimes, he chooses to use his church to be a source of that help. We said over and over again in Scripture, that the help that we have is to come from, from the church. And in fact, uh, we're here for one another. That's why I say that, that as believers, one of the things that we do around here at Crosswoods is that we, we lift people up to understand that they belong to God and his church. Because he created us to do life with him and each other. And, and when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we pray that saying, Lord, help me be an answer to that prayer. In the places where I live and play and go to school and work, Help me bring your love and your hope to those places. It's why every single week I pray, Lord, as you bless our gathering, bless us as we scatter. Because people need to know the hope that's in Christ that we have. Amen, church? And there's power in that. And then let me just throw this out there. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. If you're a follower of Christ, I, I encourage you, look to that hill called Calvary. Look to Jesus. If you're in a mountaintop and you're like, man, things are just going so great. Man, I celebrate that with you. I celebrate it with you. I hope you stay there as long as you can. But if you find yourself in a valley, I mourn with you. I understand the difficulty of those times. I'm here for you. We're here for you. But more importantly, God is present. You're not alone. He's in the quiet. And lastly, if you've yet to take the step of faith and receive Christ as Lord and Savior, whether you're here on our campus or whether you're watching online. No better time in the present. Look to that hill called Calvary. Look to Jesus. 
Say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins, being resurrected for my salvation. You've been created for a relationship with God. He's not simply waiting for you to figure out a way to get to him. He sent his son so he could get to you. It's how much God loves you. It's how true he is to his promises. Wherever you find yourself this morning, won't you take the next step God's calling you to take with him and his power and his strength, with his help. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the blessing of your word, the Bible. We don't know who the individual was who wrote this psalm, but we thank you for him. We thank you for his mentorship this morning. As we've read these words that you inspired him to write and looked at the lessons that we can learn through them and apply them to our life. And God, we understand that when we approach your word, there's many mentors in there, but you're the divine mentor. We thank you for your spirit that indwells your, your followers, that does give us strength, but is known in scripture as the great helper. And, and Lord, thank you that when Jesus ascended into heaven, that he gave us his helper and that the spirit is, is empowering us and helping us, Lord God, grow closer to you and making you known to the people around us. And we'll continue to do that until Christ returns and we see him face to face. Father God, I pray for my family and friends, whether they're here on campus or watching this online, Lord, I pray that you would meet them where they're at. And Lord, if they're in relationship with you, if they, they already accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, that, that Lord, they'd be reminded to continue to look to that hill called Calvary, continue to look to Christ to allow you to be their help. Lord, I pray for the person maybe who has yet to receive you as Lord and Savior. Why not right now? Why not right now, Lord God, in the quietness of their heart? enter into that relationship with you through Christ, that they would thank him, Lord God, for dying for their sins, being resurrected for their salvation, for the life they have in you. Lord God, the scripture's clear, but a party in heaven erupts when just one makes that decision. So Lord, we, we trust that there are those making that decision this morning. And oh Lord God, thank you for blessing our gathering. Thank you, Lord God for allowing us the privilege of, of gathering together like this and worshiping you, putting your glory on display. And I do pray that as we scatter, Lord, that you would use us to be the answer to the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That, Lord God, we would share your love and message in the places where we live, where we play, where we go to school, where we work, the communities we call home. And we give you the praise and the glory, our great lover, our helper, our everything. In Jesus' name. Amen.